Sometimes reading the book isn't enough. We want to be immersed in an idea or feeling. That's why at Book Interrupted, we've made a playlist for each book cycle. Visit www.bookinterrupted.com to find playlists for each book cycle and a member. Or check out our YouTube channel. What's on your playlist? Book Interrupted is looking for another fan to join us for a book cycle. Is there a topic you'd like us to discuss or you think needs more exposure? Go to www.bookinterrupted.com fans to submit your book pick. Parental guidance is recommended because this episode has mature topics and strong language. Here are some moments you can look forward to during this episode of Book Interrupted. You know, white silence is violence. I am offering you a teachable moment. Supremely defensive to the point where they're almost like yelling and getting agitated. I can see them sweating. Sarah, you and Senegal are going to make it to the Pocnik. You never know. Turn down. Yeah, like our white <laughs> sorrows are like, no, this has gone horribly wrong. Just turned into a way of engaging people as if they were having dinner with me. Oh, <laughs> it was me. <laughs> it's me on Tinder. It's me. <laughs> My body and soul, information is the goal. Trying to learn something new without being disrupted. My body and soul, information is the goal. Trying to learn something new without being disrupted. Mind, body, and soul, inspiration is the goal. Welcome to Book Interrupted, a book club for busy people to connect and one that celebrates life's interruptions. If you'd like to join along, this book cycle is from May 9th to June 13th. It's the fan book choice and Squiggy will be joining us for this book cycle. The book that we're reading is White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. In this in-depth exploration, this book examines how white fragility develops how it protects racial inequality, and what we can do to engage more constructively. Let's listen in to this episode's group discussion. And you do a lot of stuff for activism and I don't know if I follow you on Instagram. I follow you on Facebook and I know you put it. Oh, he also puts up amazing pictures of food he cooks. Mm-hmm. I should say that. Or create, which is amazing. Food. So follow him to he see his beautiful food creation. It was a... Uh... A shtick or a gimmick that I started doing the first lockdown while I was exploring all this activist stuff and cooking a ton at home and just still posting all these dishes on Instagram because it's not real if it's not posted on Instagram. But then I was (laughs) adding on all these thoughts and topics of discussion, let it be the series finale of Suits or let it be a BLM protest. And it just turned into a way of engaging people as if they were having dinner with me. And it's just really being a great mental health thing for me. Yes, of course, I get the dopamine hits from the likes and all that. But it's surprising how many people you can reach when you just engage in voicing things. And like I said, like the the scariest thing that racist devil did was get white people to stop talking about race. So the more white people talk about race, the the more comfortable it is to face it. And a lot of my posts are tied to a thought or a thread of activism in a sort. And then that's just led to be being more and more aware, more comfortable myself. And then also, oh yeah, on that note, I am the Brown Squiggy, the underscore Brown 
underscore squiggy on Instagram. Might as well plug myself while I'm here. Right on. Yeah, yeah definitely. Sure. Do it. Yeah. I like it. Once lockdown and what have you comes back to normal, I'm not sure when this is going to get released and all that. I'm actually doing a POCNIC in Prince Edward County, which is a POC focused picnic for the county. And there'll be uh, performers, artists, vendors, food, and with all the the struggles, the hate, the violence, the aggression that makes the news about anti-racism, it's going to be a space for people of color and their allies to come together and actually have a good time. Because for all the, the uncomfortableness, all the work, all the hate, all the tears, it'll be really nice to just gather in a field, have some music and enjoy some good food. So Awesome. Pocnik happening too. That's so clever. Pocnik. I love that. That's awesome. Well, you'll have to put, let us know and we'll put it on our book interrupted accounts too. So that if people want to come that are in that neighborhood, they'll know when and where. If you're okay with us inviting the whole world, (laughs) (laughs) all the whole world that listens to us, everybody listens to us. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, that's exciting. It's, uh, it's actually been quite interesting because I'm I'm based in Prince Edward County and there is been a lot of oppression issues. The local newspaper printed an anti-trans ad unknowingly by a overly feminist women's group, which uh, oh. they got called out for. And then also a local restaurant turned away a person of color seeking, saying that they had to have ID because of COVID rules, which is not true. And that person did not look like they need ID. It's just been really interesting to see the reaction of people and the newspaper issued a proper apology and offered newspaper space to a handful of activist groups. And at the end of the day, while it is clear that the newspaper is making a gesture, let it be token or not, there's no reason to turn down an opportunity to reach more people. So regardless of what your audience is or how, what, 46 different countries? I don't think, Mm -hmm. I don't think Sarah, you and Senegal are going to make it to the Pocnik, but (laughs) I'm not going to turn down an opportunity to get the word out. You never know. All right, well, I'll make a pack. We'll have a little meetup. (laughs) All seven of us are going to come to the Pocnik. Let's go. We're showing up to the Pocnik. You should like report live from it. Reporting live from the Pocnik. Yeah, you guys can do interruptions too. I'm the MC and I'm programming the whole thing. So I'll be like, and here's some white ladies to talk about white fragility on stage ah! to everybody. Oh! Ah! No. <laughs> we both you. just start crying. We just both <laughs> start crying and feeling sorry for ourselves. I know. And everybody comforts us. And we're like, no, don't comfort me. No, don't pay attention to my white woman tears. We get local news coverage about, yeah, like our white sorrows. We're like, no, this has gone horribly wrong. Please. Oh, God. No, no. Okay, fine. We might not be coming anymore. No, forget (laughs) it. We're not coming. I'm not coming. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys see in the news, there was a teacher in California who fairly recently, who, um, talking about the book, back to the book, 
well, not exactly, but the book, but that uh, I think it was a woman and she was on a Zoom call with um, a, she was a white woman teacher with a black child and her mother parents. And they finished the thing. And then she turned, the teacher thought she turned off her mic and her camera and she didn't. And she started talking to whoever she was in the room with about basically being super racist and like, oh, "Oh, well, you know, the, uh, it's just the black people make excuses for themselves or something like that. And then she ended up getting called out and ended up getting fired, I think, as well. But it's just goes to show that how much whether people are saying things, I know, and people saying things in public, how much they're unfortunately saying things that they don't think anybody can hear. Was she ever able to acknowledge or was she did she stick to her guns? I don't know. I didn't I didn't follow too much more about it, but I hope I hope she can acknowledge it. But who knows? Like also people sometimes do the I'm I shouldn't have done it kind of somebody writes the thing for them and just so they can get out of it. But I was going to say the area that I think I have the most need where I would be focusing my future efforts and it's in the like in the breaking of the white solidarity agreement or whatever, because that's hard, right? That, and I, oh, I like to be liked, right? I'm a people pleaser and all that stuff. So that is a a heavy influence on me. And that was one of the things that was actually pretty impactful from the me and white supremacy was that author says, you know, white silence is violence. And when it was put to me in that way, I was like, whoa, like, I don't want to be part of perpetuating violence. And so that was the beginning of me realizing that this was an area that I should be reflecting on more frequently. Um, And it hit particularly hard at that time because like literally the day before one of my coworkers had been like blatantly racist. And I was like, whoa, like they, you know, that it took me back how openly and blatantly racist the statement that they made was. But I also didn't say anything in the middle of reading me and white supremacy. Right. So I recognized that I should, and I didn't. And then, um, you know, pages later, it's like, you know, I got shame on you in the book. Right. Cause that book is not, <laughs> that book's not as nurturing as the white fragility book. Right. And I, I saw myself though, because I have the privilege to decide if I want to speak up or not. Right. Like I, cause I, you know, like that's the hard thing being part of the privileged class is like, you get to choose if you want to participate. And it's probably, it makes me feel, I guess, bad and guilty, but also like even more responsible because I know that I could choose the easier route and not say anything. And my life will be going on unaffected, except for my insides, you know, that hold me accountable. So anyways, for the end of this podcast, I just wanted to make a statement into where I am going to focus my intention on the disruption of the white solidarity. I'm going to try to call it as I see it. That ties to Lindsay's story about the the teacher on the Zoom call is that there's this white backstage. And that's what is also pointed out the metaphor in the book about the white people backstage versus up front. And then also when you do call people out, choose how you're going to fight them and what result you're going to get. So for me, I work in kitchens. Kitchens are very misogynist. So when there is a sexist joke made, I can shut that down with a look. The la- Like there'd be a time where I would chuckle and laugh and try to fit in, or there'd be a time where I just give a look and be like, that's not funny, dude. And just the simple silence and leaving a bad joke hanging in the air is a way of fighting the oppressions and stuff like that. So it doesn't have to be that you have to go on your soapbox and go toe to toe with every white person because that 
not every white person is going to react well to that. Majority of them won't react well. To but there is a balance of due diligence and knowing when you've at least done, said something and not participated. Like even just the simplicity of not participating is a statement. Silence is participating. So I really appreciate you putting it in those terms because that makes me feel like safer too. Like I can forgive myself if I don't get on a soapbox, right? And I just give a look or something. something Your personal safety is at risk. Like I've had people DM me and give me the heads up about racist people in the county here. And they are afraid to call that person out. They're afraid to say things because it's a small community. It's a small town. And white people don't like being called racist. And yeah. I, oddly, <laughs> as, that, as we that, found out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally ties into what I was going to say earlier, that I've been trying to talk more about this book. And because I agree, that's my biggest thing is I'm just silent. I get uncomfortable and I don't participate, but I don't do anything. So I was like, okay, reading this book, I'm going to start talking about this book to people. I'm going to tell them I'm reading it. I'm going to bring up some ideas. And I would say at least 90% of the time, white people got very defensive like supremely defensive to the point where they're almost like yelling and getting agitated. I can see them sweating. And I'm one of the good ones. Yeah, exactly. And then they would say, well, why the, why the theories don't work and why, oh, well now, no matter what you say, it means that um, I have to believe this because if you say that I don't believe it, then, then I'm racist. If I say, you know, like all this stuff. And, and so that's actually really hard to deal with too, because you're trying to do something and trying to like have this co- open conversation in a calm environment. And they, 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 everybody just gets all like, no, 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 not me. Well, somebody else and this, and I'm defensive and that's wrong and you're wrong and our society isn't racist and it's not made for white people. And you're like, well, look at it. Like, so I, and it's or even twisted- what Leah said too, right? Like Leah said how, Naming off all the thing, reasons why you're oh, not yeah. like I like also naming off that naming off all the the people of color I've fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, good for you. I just posted a thing about how I've been fetishized by various girls on Tinder. <laughs> it was me. It's me on Tinder. It's me. <laughs> Uh, I like the way that the author puts it when she addresses the woman in the uh, seminar who retells a story that ultimately has a good moral, but she does a stereotypical kind of personification or caricature of uh, an angry black woman. And she's just really, I don't know what the word would be to describe the way she does it, but it it seems like her technique um, does not invite defensiveness. It gives the person she's trying to invite to consider maybe not telling that story in that way. So it gives the uh, white person a lot of opportunity to still feel like in control, like not totally bad, even though that person still didn't respond well and was going to quit the seminar. But um, I think what she said was, I am offering you a teachable moment. All I ask is that you accept it openly or whatever like that, or try Mm -hmm. to keep an open mind. Right. Something and like she, that. I love that part too. I like wrote it down. <laughs> yeah. Cause she originally was like, I invite you to consider not telling that story in that way the next time you mm-hmm. share it or whatever. Right. And I just thought like, that's really, I don't know, delicate, right. It's a good, like it's a, and I mean, people can, another thing too, is you can always default back to, you can only do what your best efforts is and people are going to respond how they respond. Like, what people, how they respond is not your responsibility really. Right. Just 
and well, she's had practice engaging in these conversations. None of you have had much practice in this, but uh, it goes back to one of my mantras is just stumbling forward. Like I am not an anti-racist expert, quote unquote, but I just stumble forward and I stumble through my words and I make people feel uncomfortable. But one of the goals I got from coming on this podcast is that this gives me an opportunity to hone my own voice. None of you are in my near community. There's no direct benefit, but here I get to practice stumbling forward, talking to white people about race. So as you move forward, let it be your children, let it be your coworkers, engaging in those conversations, you will get better at them and it'll get more comfortable. And then you will be able to deflect. And also you'll recognize this is where I'm going to invest more time and more effort. Or this is where, you know what, I'm going to back off because that person is not worth my time. Um, And I wonder whether that like uh, Meredith's book choice coming up next uh, is (laughs) nonviolent communication, right? Yeah. And Um, so I wonder, I know that there's, there's talk that it's kind of tone policing. So we'll see about that. But that also that that's going to be maybe a useful tool in having these discussions of having to, you know, because I think part of nonviolent communication, I haven't started reading it, but is about not letting the emotion of what the other person, like if they're attacking you, it's not, don't, don't let that sink in, I think is what the point is. So yeah, it'll be interesting. It is kind of like choosing your language. And like, when you say, tell people say, you made me feel, well, that's, People can't make you feel, you said, you know, when this happened, I felt. But yeah, it's, it's just interesting because it helps you reflect on your own feelings and someone else's feelings. And it's all about trying to uh, perspective taking rather than defensiveness, rather than fragility. Yeah. Feels a good segue. Catherine, yeah. <laughs> to the next thing. <laughs> so I'm going to say thank you. Engaging in this book and actually seeing the simplicity of one of my random posts have led to this point to that I actually see you white people doing work within your own life. Like you guys are going beyond just reading the book. You're engaging with old friends. You're engaging with your children. You are even at times during these recordings shedding tears, but they're tears of self-reflection. They're not tears of attention. They're not tears of what was me. So I considered and I questioned what value I get out of coming on here. And seeing that from a simple Instagram post, that it's led to a path to where all of you in separate ways are working anti-racism work within your own life. And that's the thing, like, I can't punch Trump in the face, but I can control what happens in my kitchen. We all want to punch a Nazi, but that white savior idea is false. What we can do is work on anti-racism in our lives, with our family, with our coworker, with how we engage with people. And I actually see that more in the stories that you told during these recordings than in what we talked about in the book. Well, thank you for coming on. It was really, really lovely to have you and such a nice different perspective from, you know, six white women to have a a male and a person of color on on, and to talk about this. So we really, really appreciate that you came on. Thank you very much. This interruption is brought to you by Unpublished. Do you want to know more about the members and Book Interrupted? Go behind the scenes? 
visit our website at www.bookinterrupted.com. Book Interrupted! This audio interruption is brought to you by Kara's COVID Depression. Seriously, though, I'm not trying to make light of or make fun of depression because it is very real. In all seriousness, like, I think I have COVID depression. So freaking tired of it. As are likely many human beings across the globe. I just, I can't believe like this third wave is a real kick in the dink. And we just got released uh, through the Ontario government, like new, um, like this slow reopening plan. But I'm just like, what the heck? It's like, so kids can go to overnight camp together, but adults can't go to get a haircut until mid-August. And then other things like we can slowly, starting on the weekend, start to gather together in large groups and stadiums to watch professional sporting events. However, it's not until August that we can legally get together with five people outside. I just, I don't understand. And so, I don't know. You know, when like you can't make sense of something, you just, it just keeps playing on a loop over and over again. And I just, finally letting myself admit that, yeah, maybe I'm not at my best and maybe it's not for lack of introspection or self-care. Like, let's just call it like it is. (laughs) Maybe this is as good as it gets right now. And so truly, my interruption is starting to forget what life was like before COVID. And I know that's a little bit of nostalgia, which can be a bit dangerous at times. That being said, I fully am aware that we are never going back to what was But man, am I ready to embrace the next step forward? Because it kind of feels like we're in limbo here. We're between two worlds and uh, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Book interrupted. It's book report time. We're going to find out from each member their final thoughts. And do they recommend the book? Let's listen. Hi, this is my final book report for White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. And it was a really good book. I would recommend it. And I think it was a really good first book on the topic. Of course, it uh, really explains the concept of white fragility and reads pretty true to me. And I would really recommend it to anyone who's interested in this topic, interested in further educating themselves on, well, in my case, it was just like blinder after blinder of taking off the the blinders of where I I don't see what I don't see. I can't, I wasn't aware a lot. The, the whiteness of my culture, it was just not something I thought about all that much. And I think this is a really great book to, um, to read, uh, for anyone who's ready to hear it, but it's, you have to be ready to hear it. Cause it's a lot. It's, it's a hard read, not literally like language wise is a hard read because it really makes you look at yourself and examine your behaviors and choices and thoughts and accept yourself for who you are, which can be really challenging. One of the chapters that really, really uh, stood out for me is chapter 10, which is called White Fragility and the Rules of Engagement. That one really helped me process a lot of new concepts that I hadn't ever thought of before or heard of even until recently, one of them being tone policing and tone shaming, which I really bristled at the concept at first, 
And I'm still not fully formed on what that means and how I interpret it. But it was really, really kind of um, gave me a really fuller recognition of what that means and how to, well, I'll read a quote. And it says, how, where, and when you give me feedback is irrelevant. It is the feedback I want and need. Understanding that it is hard to give. I will take it any way I can get it. From my position of social, cultural, and institutional white power and privilege, I am perfectly safe and I can handle it. If I cannot handle it, it's on me to build my racial stamina. That's just smart. <laughs> so I, that really helped me on understanding that like someone might not be delivering the message and trying to tell you in other aspects of your life, in all aspects of your life, that you're, I don't know, letting them down, hurting them, whatever it is, but that applies just so well. And why should it not apply about race? Another quote I marked off, to let go of the messenger and focus on the message is an advanced skill and is especially difficult to practice if someone comes at us with a self-righteous tone. If kindness gets us there faster, I'm all for it. But I do not require anything from someone giving me feedback before I can engage with that feedback. Again, it's just like double hammering it in. I am not there yet. That is definitely something I'd like to work on. And if I can get feedback about anything and kind of open my eyes more to the race issues surrounding me, I I want to hear it and I want to, I want to learn more. So I want to move from being someone who considered themselves as not racist to now someone who knows that everybody, unfortunately, is racist because of the society we live in on different levels, but everybody is, and then work towards accepting that and becoming anti-racist and really make decisions and communicate with other white people in a way that's authentic to how what I'm trying to achieve. So that's my book report. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. This is my final book report for White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. I really like this book. I think it's a good first read for any white person who wants to do anti-racism work. And I don't necessarily mean like as a career, but any kind of anti-racism work and maybe anybody who fancies themselves not racist. This is really eye-opening. Just showing that racism is in all the systems of our society and that just because white people might not see it because they have privilege, it doesn't mean it's not there. Uh, I like the idea of thinking of ourselves as a race because a lot of white people might not think of themselves as being uh, racialized. And that's a problem because the group we're part of does impact our opinions and our and our behaviors and how we see the world. I was kind of hoping that by the end of this book, she would give us some really clear guidelines or examples on how to talk to other white people about race. This book doesn't really do that. She does, however, uh, give us an example of a time when she perpetuated racism and how she handled it, which I did find very useful. I actually tagged the, I dog-eared the page so that I could come back to it because talking to people about race is really difficult. And apologizing is difficult anyway. So put those two things together and it's really hard to apologize about doing something racist or even to reflect that 
what you did was. So, or she received feedback as well and did it graciously. And she talks about how she reacted emotionally. So I do want to take one line from this when she was asking a person if she could address the racism. So this is what she said. Would you be willing to grant me the opportunity to repair the racism I perpetrated towards you in that meeting? It's so straightforward and actually calling it out as racism is so important to show that you're open to talk about it and you want to make things better. So yeah, I did really like the book. I think it's a good first read and I will recommend it to my friends. I have already and I've already started some conversations uh, with friends and I find that some people are very interested in talking about race or doing something about it. But uh, again, there's just that discomfort, that white fragility that holds a lot of people back. A lot of good people who uh, want to be good people are a little too scared to move in case somebody thinks that they're racist or being bad. And I think this book lays it out very clearly that racism is part of our systems and our society. And if we want to dismantle it, it's going to take everybody doing it. And white people are a very important part of that because we're the ones holding up the systems that are pushing down people based on how they look and where they're from. Okay. So I'm really glad that Squeaky recommended this book, and I'm glad that Book Interrupted did it. So as we know from my first personal journal, I was a little bit nervous, but I'm really not anymore. I think that this book's like all the rest of the books we've done so far on Book Interrupted, and it's about preconditioning and like lifting those blinders of preconditioning. And um, one of the things I realized in the book that I didn't realize about myself is I would fall under that category of color celebrate. And I never even thought that maybe that I could use that, or maybe I have used that as an excuse to excuse myself from the conversation or to excuse my behavior because I can't fall under that racism term because, or I'm not preconditioned at all because of whatever, what, and I've been doing that since high school, the color celebrate, like that is definitely my narrative. And so I'm definitely going to be more conscious of that and more self-aware of my behaviors and how I might be affecting other people. Another thing I really like about this book that I think is just a great nugget of advice is when she suggests that you confine in someone that's going to hold you accountable. And I think that's good advice for so many things. Is when, you, when, she, when I was reading about that, I immediately thought, yes, of course, when you go, when you confine in people, oftentimes they give you excuses for your behavior to console you and tell you you're a good person and whatever. And that doesn't lead to growth. That doesn't help you take responsibility for your own actions and make amends and apologize if you need to. So I really like that part of the book because it made me really realize like, who do I go to when I've done something that I don't feel great about? Do I go to someone that's going to make me feel better? Or am I going to someone that's going to hold me accountable? So I'll definitely reflect on that going forward. Another thing I like that she said was, you know, when you feel criticized, sometimes you, the person that you offended, you get them to console you because, you know, you feel so emotional for upsetting them. And yeah, when I feel criticized, I feel like I do that for sure. That sometimes I need to be a little bit more self-aware, like people shouldn't be consoling me that I'm in an argument with <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, I think that I'll definitely do that in the future. If I ever feel criticized, instead of getting that person to try to console me, that's ridiculous. And I think that just goes right into like white women tears, right? Somehow we get sym sympathy when you know, really what we should be doing is reflecting on our behavior. It was a good book. It was a good read. And I will definitely recommend other people and urge them to read it, even though it can be uncomfortable at times. 
I really like this book. I do think everybody should read it. I think it was an excellent recommendation from Squiggy. My first experience with anti-racism content came through the book of uh, called Me and White Supremacy. <laughs> it's so brutal, but this book is like the white version, meaning that this book is delivered in a way that someone with a moderate level of interest in anti-racism or understanding how racism works in society, a, a white person that is, they can digest it. Whereas the me and white supremacy is not taking into consideration how digestible it is for a white person. That's my experience. Both of them are saying basically the same thing. Just one is, the other one's coming from a viewpoint of like, this is what it is, so get on board kind of thing. And so I would say that me and white supremacy has um, like a trigger warning of your hitting your white fragility if you're not um, already open and working on that response. So that's why I really like white fragility because I read me and white supremacy first and I was, had my white fragility totally triggered. I was like, well, I can't do anything then. Like I just, I felt really kind of trapped or something like, like there was no way out or it's hard to explain, but like I felt upset because I had the motivation or intention to want to understand better and, and do better. And then with all the knowledge that I learned, it uh, made me able to see all of the ways in which I'm racist from my socialization in this society. And so I was paralyzed in that because I was like, I don't know which way to move because I um, can only see my racism now, basically, which was obviously pretty jarring. But then I had a little white fragility rant about it to, uh, I was in a book club with that one, like a, a, a work book club. And only after spewing it upon reflection did I realize, oh, that's a really good example of white fragility. And I did that with a wonderful person at my work. And then just doing that, nothing happened. There was no like revelation, like cognitive revelation, but there was an emotional revelation where I was able to then move through it. So um, that was my kind of reactive experience of anti-racism work. And so having white fragility now is really nice. It's kind of like a nurturing way to like move on the mission. And so just having the contrast between the two experiences is interesting for me. And I just, uh, I want to say I love the information. That's probably inappropriate. I don't love that society is racist. But I just really like reading things that make really good sense to me. And once the blindfold was removed kind of thing, um, or the curtains were drawn back, I, I really understand now. And it was just reading the author saying, you know, the author likes to imagine themselves on a continuum, that they're never going to be not racist because of history and society and socialization and her social position where she falls in all of that but she is on a continuum. And so she can be observing what she's doing at any given time in the moment and working toward moving along that continuum. And I really like that. I also considered while I was reading the book, like trying on the words like, I'm so racist, which inside of you makes you feel like, just don't say that, right? But um, if you really open your mind to the idea that society, like there's systemically built racism into everything you know, in Canada anyway, then you are so racist. So get used to saying it because it is what it is. And like, you have to acknowledge it first. You can't deny it. You have to acknowledge it first before you can 
proceed along that continuum. So that's where I'm at. Thank you, White Fragility. Thank you, Squiggy, for recommending it. Thank you, people of color, for fucking putting up with us. I don't even know what to say about that. Like, fuck. That's the end of my book report. Do I recommend it, I guess, is a question? Of course I do. Yes. Everybody, every white person should read this. I'm going to try to get my dad to read it, who is like old school, not going to like the suggestion. But I'm going to suggest it nonetheless. (laughs) Stay tuned. I've been keeping a diary and notes um, just about how I'm feeling, my reflections, as well as, uh, you know, information from the book. Probably out of all the books so far, I've learned the most from this one, which is awesome, but also sad that I didn't know all this information already. I wrote some things down uh, just about how this is not about my feelings, though, that you know, I don't want to bring my white woman tears, as she calls it, into this. But the book really is about me recognizing the past, the history, um, also the present of how entrenched racism is in our society. It's also about me realizing that you don't have to be a bad person to be racist, that actually most of us have racism in us, or maybe all of us in some way, because of just the culture we live in, the white culture we live in. You know, it's also about me noticing, well, whenever I talk about this book with white people, how often white people will jump to defensiveness. You know, it's also about me as a white person learning to reflect on all my own personal behaviors. It's about me listening to people of color. It's about me seeking to understand, to grapple with my thoughts, to engage and process and believe, and also to apologize for any actions or words that I have done that have been inappropriate, and then to be, to respond with openness and humility in, you know, no matter what the response is, and no matter what the way that the message is presented. But this is just a first step in a a long learning process, and something that just doesn't end here. So I want to finish this off by just saying a couple of quotes from the book. The first one is, if I believed that only bad people are racist, I will feel hurt, offended, and shamed when I am, when an unaware racist assumption of mine is pointed out. If I instead believe that having racist assumptions is inevitable, but possible to change, I will feel gratitude when an unaware racist assumption is pointed out. Now I'm aware of and can change that assumption. And I hope that I can be now aware of and change assumptions of mine. I also want to say this quote from page 145. It says, So consider racism a matter of life and death as it is for people of color and do your homework. And so definitely my next steps in the back of the book of White Fragility, there are more resources, some films and and writings. I also, I'm going to get some more books, have more discussions. Now, would I recommend this book? Uh, I definitely would. I mean, it's meant for a liberal, educated uh, reader, and you have to be willing to engage. Um, you have to be able to listen. You, It's academic at times, and often I had to reread passages in order to really fully comprehend them. And it requires the reader to pay attention and to absorb. But that being said, if you're willing to learn and to grow and to challenge and to challenge yourself, and to look inside, then I absolutely recommend this book. Okay, last journal entry. I have completed the book, so this is my book report. Of course, I recommend 
White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo to absolutely everybody. I realize that there are many books on this topic. And yes, this is written by a white author. For myself, someone who is white, I found it a bit easier to get into the material because it was a white author. Because I went into it with the assumption that she wouldn't be going to attack mode. And since I have historically been conflict avoidant, I was thankful. Not because um, I don't feel like a person of color could have written a better book. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to express is that I know myself and I know that I can get very fearful of not people-pleasing and I can punish myself severely uh, with very poor self-talk if I feel like I have done something wrong. So I am thankful to this author and for the fan who brought this book to our attention because I need to get more into this material. I need to continue learning. I need to continue undoing all those layers of conditioning. And this felt like a safe way to start getting into this topic of diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, racism in a way that I could actually absorb the learning and not have all my guards up. And I would like to close uh, with the final words that the author included as a conclusion. It spoke to me very strongly, as did many points in the book, this in particular, because it does touch upon values. And it makes me a bit tearful um, because my primary values are inclusion and understanding. And I know that I have failed as a white person to behaviorally observe my own values in all situations, in particular when it comes to people of color. I offer, we must never consider ourselves finished with our learning. Even if challenging all the racism and superiority we have internalized was quick and easy to do, our racism would be reinforced all over again just by virtue of living in the culture. I have been engaged in this work in a range of forms for many years, and I continue to receive feedback on my stubborn patterns and unexamined assumptions. It is a messy, lifelong process, but one that is necessary to align my professed values with my real actions. When I read that sentence, It is a messy, lifelong process, but one that is necessary to align my processed values with my real actions. I felt called to step up, get used to being uncomfortable, Kara, deal with it, and continue the learning come hell or high water. It is not a choice. It is a mandate. It is my responsibility as a fellow human being on this earth. And I thank you to this author for bringing this message to my attention uh clearly i recommend this book i did that that's kind of a given since it was my recommendation as a fan's choice in the meantime i've also read a couple other anti-racist books and still for challenging white people to actually make a difference and to activate them white fragility is a good book and that's what a term i've been using more and more is to activate white people Because white people, they're good, they're fine, but good is not enough. Like, it's the idea of not being racist versus being actively 
anti-racist. So it's about activating white people so they understand what they've been conditioned to accept and what they're part of. So showing them that they are part of the white supremacy structure is difficult and it's very uncomfortable for a lot of white people and it'll cause a lot of defensiveness and a lot of counter-arguments, which this book acknowledges and dissects very well. Like It starts off with what the possible reactions that white people will give to when you say, hey, you're being racist, and puts them in their place, but not in a way that doesn't allow room for growth, evolution, and it's not... I wouldn't quite say it's inspiring. I think it's challenging. And I think it's challenging in that good way that you can't read this book and not be changed by your actions. I'm not saying everyone that reads this book is going to storm the streets and BLM protests, but there will be little nuances on how you carry your day-to-day life and your interactions with people of color and white people themselves that this book can cause. It approaches a very difficult subject in a way that makes it almost palatable. There's other books that talk about the history of racism and what people of color, especially Blacks and Indigenous, have to go through, and that is a soul-crushing book. So while this book is challenging, it's not necessarily soul-crushing. So yeah, I recommend it. I'll read it again probably at some point just to revisit it. And yeah, don't be racist. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Book Interrupted. If you'd like to see the video highlights from this episode, please go to our YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe and you'll be notified when there's new content. Want to be part of the conversation? Have your voice heard on our fan episode next week. Or recommend a book and you could be joining us for a six-week book cycle. Find out more by going to www.bookinterrupted.com fans. Book Interrupted.